0: Hey, Meg and Dr. G here with a new special guest Saturday brought to you by SPKN. Today, we're sitting down with Mr. Carlton Creech, Vice Chancellor of Athletics at the University of Denver, who has officially been a pioneer for about three years now and brings over two decades of sport administration experience to the position. Carlton, welcome to SPKN.
1: Thanks, Meg. Great to see you and thanks for having me on.
0: Great to see you. Thanks for joining us. What we'd like to do in the beginning is just um, we, we'd love about how you kind of got interested in the field and kind of the steps you took uh, to get to this great place at University of Denver.
1: Sure. Well, I'm not uh, I don't come to this with a high, high level of pedigree in college athletics. I wasn't an athlete. I wasn't a coach. I was a kid who grew up in a college town. That, that loved college sports. I grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And, and at the time when I was growing up, we didn't have any professional sports franchises in the state of North Carolina yet. Uh, the Charlotte Hornets hadn't emerged yet as the first, first NBA team in North Carolina. And so everything about sports in my world was all about college sports. And we were in a lot of college sports in that area of North Carolina. So I kind of grew up with it inside me. And when I graduated from college, Um, I actually figured out the behind the games that happen on Wednesday night and Saturday, and that I could actually have a career in this industry if I I worked hard and applied myself. Exactly what I did, I accepted an internship uh, in the ticket office at the University of Carolina right out of college, and I was so good that I was an intern for two years before they hired me full-time, but I ended up getting a full-time job. And from there, really just worked my industry by taking opportunities as they came, and in doing the very best I could in the moment. Uh, so I had experience in fundraising and capital project management. Uh, my last two years at North Carolina, um, I was uh, the chief of staff for the athletic director, which is an experience. And then got my first AD job in 2014 at the University of Maine, uh, which was an experience. I was there for four years and learned an awful lot, a lot of on the job training there as so being an athletic director for the first time and then was so grateful to have an opportunity at at the University of Denver job when it came available almost three years ago now. And uh, like you said, I've been here about two and a half years and have enjoyed every minute of it. It's been an incredible experience, uh, an incredible uh, place with incredible people like Dr. Garrity and I'm just grateful to be here and it's been a lot of fun.
0: Oh, he's already sucking up to you, Brian.
2: Butter, butter up the faculty is always a great idea, too. Really, we love flattery. it you know? <laughs> on something pretty basic. You're humble in the sense of a lot of people start off in ticket sales and then making their way to like administration, operations, finding where that might be, and you, and you have to pay your due.
1: You do, and a lot of our entry-level jobs in athletics are turnover jobs, right? They're, they're, they're almost burnout jobs. You're working a lot of hours. You're working nights and weekends, and you're just grinding your way into the industry. And that's what I did, and that's what most of my peer colleagues have done. And it's—I uh, think you learn a lot doing that. It, it does humble you, uh, and you gotta—you gotta pay attention and be dedicated to the lifestyle more than anything. Uh, you know, this is not a live Monday through Friday what we do, and so you gotta be dedicated and make sure it's uh, something you really want to do. And if you do, it's rewarding. Uh, but there, do it.
0: so, what what advice would you give other people that are interested, in maybe following that same path and going into? administration?
1: Get started. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of so many um, of students, student athletes here, people that come to me and say hey, that same question and they say, I want to be an athletic director. And uh, and I say, great. It only took me 20 years to get there. Right. Uh, you know, you, you only have to work your way through the industry for 20 years. Um, so you've got to start. That's the, the big thing. Um, and it doesn't really matter where you start. You can start in compliance or ticket sales like I did or, or athletic training, whatever your start. But then, as soon as you can, start to diversify. I, I think a diversified performance is really important in this industry if you want to move up into administrative positions and having not expertise in every area, but at least an awareness of every area. Start leading a division or leading a, a department within a department. Uh, it's not just a singular focus. You, you have a lot of areas of focus, and you, you need knowledge of all of them.
0: I find it really interesting that you don't, like... You were not somewhat of an athlete, but you weren't on the athletic track um, to play in, in college. And I think a lot of people feel that if, they're, if they aren't on that track, then they can't really go into anything in sport. And there are so many um, positions that really are behind the scenes, as you say. So we're, we're hoping to open that up for a lot of viewers.
1: Well, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of proof that anybody can do it. You know, I was a high school athlete. I loved sports. I love playing sports. I was not blessed with height, speed, or talent, and so my athletic career ended pretty quick uh, but after high school, but anybody can get into the industry. You just have to be willing to do the work and willing to take the opportunities that come your way. I never would have told you 20 years ago I was gonna live in Maine for four years, right? But that opportunity came my way, and I'll never forget I talked to Bubba Cunningham who was the athletic director at North Carolina at the time where I was working. I said, Bubba, what's your advice? What should I do? And he said, look, you can stay here and work with me for as long as you want to work yourself and take a chance and take an opportunity and go be the athletic director at the University of Maine. He said, now you tell me in a better leader five years from now, taking that opportunity and that chance and proving yourself for obvious decision. And it's great advice. I'll never forget. You've got to push yourself.
2: Can you speak a little bit about that? Cause right. On- knowing when you left north carolina right it, it, it you left at a good time you know it, it was very opportunistic in, in a way that uh, there were some academic concerns going on at unc you know restroom uh, it's not a it was it's not surprise it's news that's out there you know and i knew when i left coaching i left tennessee time too you could kind of just tell
1: did that influence your decision to take that step uh, to go to maine you know, it, it didn't, Brian. I had been looking for a, about, a, about six months. I had interviewed for a couple of other jobs, um, uh, didn't get them, uh, came close in the second interview, finished second for that job. But, you know, Maine was the first job that, that I was offered. Uh, Dr. Job after, and, and and I have to say, Bubba was incredibly supportive, right? And he's one of those people in our industry who wants you to succeed and he wants you to folio and, and be your own leader. And he was very helpful in me. Now, leaving him at that time was tough for him because, right, we were in the middle of a battle at that time. Things weren't going well. and There was a lot on everybody's plate. Uh, we were rebuilding a lot of systems and functions to make things much better than they had been and, and in a way that they needed to be. So, so. To ask him to help me leave him at that time was very difficult for him, but he didn't blink an eye. You know, he helped me. He understood he had been there himself years before. Um, so, it, yeah, I don't think what was going on in North Carolina really played much in leaving there. Um, I didn't. certainly wasn't going to leave a place just to leave. I was going towards something, and going towards that first opportunity to be an athletic director was was what it ended up being.
2: I was interested, too, when you talk about your skills, right, because you see skills, you were in – not only sales, but then advancement, fundraising, capital projects, you know, for a lot of folks that don't realize, you know, what what does that mean? What does that entail? Um, and obviously you, you were successful at that because you guys generated, you know, two millions of dollars and built new buildings and those sorts of things.
1: Yeah, well in North Carolina where I spent, most, we had great structures too, right? We had large mechanisms for fundraising and ticket sales and all those things. And so I was part of a much larger effort uh, when I was working, when I go to somewhere like one fundraiser, right? So I was kind of boots on the ground immediately there and having to pull some of those skills out of the closet that maybe I hadn't used in a few years. Uh, but but what it all boils down to, Brian, I found in anything we do is trying to be a good person, be respectful of other people, and try to try to build some relationships uh, along the way. You know, um, the, the University of Maine um, just got a transformational 90 million dollar gift to their athletic department, you know, two years after I left. Those things don't happen quickly. And, and, you know, I left, the new athletic director came in, he had to start that relationship that I had left off with that family foundation and it all worked. But, you know, I, I think the real transformations that happen in our industry don't happen quickly. They're not easy and you need a lot of help to get them done. And so it's trying to figure out how to build relationships with the people around you.
2: Specifically for people that are listening, what I, what I at least found was some bring in $1.5 million, but the gift they just received was for
1: not- Correct. Actually, I had, you know, about a year before I left here, I had done a proposal to their foundation for a number, a little bit more than that, you know, kind of as a multi-year transformational gift. And you can ask for that. No one's going to say yes to that right away. And so I, I think uh, it took years of work to get them to the point where the $90 million gift uh, came true, but again, you know they're they're an incredible foundation in the state of maine and and dedicated to higher education and and the nine of the total gift they gave to the entire state of maine. they gave five hundred million dollars to higher education in Maine, which was an incredibly transformative gift.
0: there was a lot of work that went on. Anyone can come on and and have when uh, hand over the check there's that's years of work that that went into that, probably even for you, so it's it's uh it's kudos to all of, all of you that are working on it for sure.
1: And with philanthropy, you know, people have lots of options lots of options, more options have ever had, but so much need in our world uh, when it comes to philanthropy. And so you really have uh, careful and detailed and uh, diligent when you're out to attract those kinds of gifts.
0: What do you think is the most important thing to remember when you're, when you're out talking to people about the school, um, trying to to raise money I mean is that is there something you keep your eye on when when having these kind of discussions and building these relationships
1: well I think every um person you communicate with is different right and the first thing you have to do is understand their angle you know where is their interest where is their passion and how can maybe we find a common ground where it'll work um you know, so I think, you know, if, if I was going in to talk to somebody who loved to help build buildings about scholarships, you know, that's probably not a real wise move, right? You've got to interest, their level of interest, and where we can find some common ground. Uh, and when you do that, I, I think it becomes much more of a, a relationship and not me asking you for money, right? It's, it's how can we help each other? How can I help you with what you're interested in supporting? And what is the platform we can give you to offer that support?
2: When you, when you mentioned moving to Maine, I was kind of curious, right? So uh, you moved to Maine. What are some of those on-the-job learning experiences that you talked about? And I, I would imagine talking to other coaches and, you know, you're, you're never really fully. Nobody's ever really fully from almost anything.
1: Oh, and to be was having over 100 people that I'm responsible for, right, that are in an organization that now I'm leading and that I feel responsible, and that was employees. And then you know we had over 350 student athletes that I'm also responsible, ultimately responsible for. At that point, that was I never had that level of personnel um, that that I was. That was it's time consuming. It took a lot of time. Um, I tried to be very intentional and diligent. You know, I had an individual meeting with every staff member when I got there, and just did the same thing here when I came to Denver, trying to humanize, you know, the new AD. I just wanted them to know, hey, I'm just just a regular guy like you uh, and and try to build those relationships early on. Um, I do a lot of walking around too, you know, just to say hello to people. When I have breaks in between meetings, I try not to just sit still. I try to get up and get out um, but you learn some, you know, budget responsibility. You know, being a member of a at at Maine, a president's cabinet here, being a member of a chant. You know, I've never had that experience before. I'm the least educated. Right? It's intimidating. I've got PhDs and brilliant researchers and people all around me, and so that was a new experience. Um, but you know, one I've I've enjoyed tremendously. So there's so many new experiences to become an AD.
2: And, and that was one of the hardest transitions for me actually too, was leaving you know, pro sports or v one sports for higher ed where moving at a slug space and you've got so many so-called smart people that have to put their fingerprint on some decision making and you're just like, I-, I can't believe we have to make decisions now and move and, you know, we're, we're headed in the right direction to win and to to do the right things and that's not the same in, in higher ed. It's more, way more f- fractured, I'd say.
1: Yeah, it's a big part of, of- I think what I do now a lot of the time is I'm that buffer between anxious, go get them, want to win coaches and athletes versus the large operate within. And I'm that buffer between those two. And so I try to tell the story to both sides. Hey, we need to speed up. This is urgent. Hey, there's a process for this. Be patient. Right. I'm getting both sides of the equation all at the same time.
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't. I mean, I know you, you taught classes, too. So you have classroom experience and you
1: have a master's degree in management as well. Yeah. yeah it's, I tell you what, one of the most fun things I did at Maine, I, I became friends with the executive in residence of the Maine Business School, a guy named Sean McKenna. Wonderful man. And unfortunately, we, we lost Sean a couple of years ago. Um, but he was teaching a class that he called Personal Brand, but is actually a class about personal leadership, personal response, having a vision, having values, having a plan for your life. And I had been doing similar work on my own for a few years. And I met Sean and it just all clicked. And he said, hey, I'm getting too many students who help me teach it. And wow, what an offer. And so I helped him teach it for a semester. And then we ended up splitting it into two sections. I had my own class and, and and I ended up teaching it after Sean passed away. And it was an incredible experience. I got so much out of it. You know the interaction with the I was there to teach them, and most of the time I was the one learning something you know so it was a great experience and I hope to get back in the classroom again one day
2: the NCA too like in, in other life champ skills programs have had the branding as their thing right you, you need to protect your hand. and I find that to be a in, in kind of revealing way of talking about today's society you know that has a certain kind of capitalistic economy. It. and it's not just living a good life or becoming educated or learning how to lead it's protect your brand and, and then exploit that for economic
1: gain. Yeah, and we're, we're going to see it more and more. You know, I, I fully expect uh, the NCAA to pass new uh, name, image, and likeness legislation. that's going to be much more permissive uh, for student athletes to capitalize, especially on their social media um, platforms. What I loved about Sean at Maine and the, the class he was teaching is he called it personal brand, but his defin- definition of personal brand is your brand is the person you are, right? not what your Twitter account says, you know, or not what you say, it's what you do, it's who you are, and that's what he taught, and that's why I identified with that, and, but yeah, it's a challenge, you know, we're in a quick social society, uh, get my name out there, make my uh, brand on social media, and and part of my responsibility, I believe, is to make sure we're not dialing that bag, that's a very society right now, but just make some substance.
0: What I think is really interesting is the way that brand is really thrown around. Um, you know, your your brand as an athlete is like my style, my my it. When these kids are going and trying to brand, they're like, oh, I'm gonna have this beard or I'm gonna have this color in my hair. Or, I'm gonna, that that's not really what what the brand should represent. But I think that looking at um, all of the athletes profession- making millions on their brand. Um, I think they're trying to follow in those footsteps. And I think um, one of the things we we talk a lot about in coaching is your coaching philosophy. Basically, that becomes kind of your coaching brand as the values that you have when you're coaching and and what's important to you. You're able to sift through things and decide, well, this is in accordance with my way of coaching. And so I I think it's really important. I have a uh, a focus on the development of leadership skills within the-
1: It's temporary brand, it's it's temporary success. And um, I, I'm a firm believer in culture, and culture is another buzzword that's getting used a lot right now. Um, but culture, in, for me, is real actions over time, and, and culture takes a long time to build. There's never a finish line with culture. It's a work in progress every day. You have people constantly coming in and out. It's quick. and But but one thing we're doing here that I'm persecuted to and, and vision to be dedicated to is this positive leadership.
0: Um, And it's an
1: interesting time to be talking about positive leadership in our current uh, pandemic crisis. Um, But we started this um, last September uh, when uh, author and speaker John Gordon came to our campus and spoke to our entire athletic division. Um, And we followed that up with some training. I I became a a certified trainer in their organization and I led our senior team in athletics through a full day long training session of, of positive leadership training. It was right before the pandemic. I'm telling you, I think it has helped. It's not perfect, right? We all have bad days, we have bad hours. There's challenges that we have to think about. How do we make those challenges into new opportunities? And we had designed this whole summer rollout of this program we were gonna do in training for all of our coaches, all of our student athletes, and it became pretty real pretty quick that we were gonna miss that opportunity. Um, But we didn't stop, we actually did online uh, for all of our coaching staff over the summer with the same program our senior leadership team had been through. And it was really beneficial. You know, we did it by Zoom, it wasn't perfect, it was a challenge, um, you know, it, I was leading it. But I think it's really helped some of our coaches and our leadership through this crisis in a way maybe they wouldn't work. Um, just having that mindset of, okay, it's coming at us, we can't stop them coming at us, but we're not gonna go away and hide. We're gonna find a way through it with a great attitude and, and figure out how to get, get through it and win on the other side of it. And so, you know, we're also developing a program for our student athletes uh, that we were gonna launch in person in September. Uh, we're converting all of that material to online material now. And so we were delayed a little bit, but we hope to start uh, getting those workshops going in November. So in, in the craziest higher education crisis we've seen in our lifetime, I'm proud of our division for finding a way to move forward with, it, with an important initiative when it would have been easy to say, you know what, let's just press pause, we'll do that next year, let's pay attention to the budget and all these things. But I'm so proud of our people that they were willing uh, on this little journey to start the process. Because in anything you're doing, the hardest thing is just to start it. And so I felt it was really important we get it started.
2: Speaking of getting started and, and dealing with positive and opportunity in a pandemic, You guys have actually added a sport, a varsity sport during this time, which like people are cutting sports left and right.
1: You know, it was, um, we've been working on that for about a a year before we actually announced it, but we added women's triathlon through a grant from USA Triathlon. Able to add our 18th sport in a trial manner. Um, It's not an NCAA championship sport yet. We're building towards that but no new expenses to the university. Uh, so with a generous grant from USA Triathlon, we were able to add a new sport. We've got a couple of student athletes starting with us. We're starting small. One of our assistant swim coaches is the head coach of triathlon, right? But again, looking for opportunity in the face of a lot of negative. And, and we found a way to do that.
0: I love how creative everyone is getting um, at this time. You know, we, we're trying, we're, nobody is running and hiding. We're all trying to find better, newer ways to, to create what we need to get done.
1: Well, and, and you're right. And I think college athletics is, there's no question in my mind now, it's going to look very different. Right? We're going through some monumental changes right now, not only on the governance and legislation side, but when you look at lifestyle considerations, right? How many hours people are spending, the, the revelation that work can be conducted like we're conducting this interview right now, right? We can We can get things done and make progress virtually. And I think our, our industry is going to look very different. I'm not sure exactly what it's going to end up looking like, but I can tell you it's going to be different than it was a year ago. Do you have any wisdom
2: or counsel then for people in the field and those students or up and comers that are looking at it going, you know, I always try to sell like right, critical thinking, decision-making, you know, long-term and, and character building and those sorts of things they really sound very sexy, right? It's not on, it's not a sexy brand, but it works. Switching gears to more coaching now a little bit too. Between, uh, I don't know, at UNC, I don't know if you were on, on any hiring committees, but the observations that you had there, the hires and changes you had to make at hiring new coaches, you know, can you speak about what are those characteristics you look for in, you know, coaches?
1: Yeah, I tell you, in my career at Maine and so far at Denver, I've, I've never made simply for wins and losses, right? Um, for me, it's a lot about culture. It's a lot about um, the feel of the program of the program. Um, I mean, um, can we do better, should we do better, um, things like that. And so my, my hiring philosophy here, you know, we, we've hired two head coaches this year, uh, Trey Carpenter with men's golf and Dosha Woods with women's basketball. We hired them by, by, via Zoom in the middle of the pandemic and, and ended up with great coaches, right? And, but, but most of my questions, we had a committee and there were questions about the coaching style and all those things. My, all of my questions were about culture, what's your leadership style? How do you treat your student athletes? How do you talk to them? Um, you know, what's your you know, toughness quotient? You know, how, how are you going to lead a group of young people and fit into a division that expects with multiple national championship programs? And how are you going? To, so my, my line of question tends to be all about coaching search. You're a good coach, right? You, you know how to call plays and you know how to run the offense or whatever it is. Uh, at that point, it's all about fit, which is mainly my focus. Um, and, and when I think about building a, a, a team, I, I am, and you, you'll, if you ask people, you'll, I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty good delegator and I'm a pretty good let you do your job person. And I believe in that, you know, if everything has to come through me and if i now at the end of the day, I understand I'm the ultimate decision maker when, when things get tough or there are big decisions to be made has to flow through me. We have a tremendously inefficient organization. And so I want to empower everybody on our team to make decisions at the point of the decision and feel confident in that. Be okay making mistakes. And if you make a mistake, we'll talk about the mistake, figure out how to not make it again and move forward. But I, I, I don't want to lead by fear or lead by action or feel like I have to make every decision. I, I feel like that's an extremely inefficient way to lead. And, and my, my style is more about empowerment. I mean, specifically, then, how do, what does that look like on a daily basis for you? It starts with structure. And so when I got here, I changed up the structure. Um, Ron Graham, who's an incredible guy, who Ron was a st- student athlete here, coach here, administrator here, just love Ron. But when, when I got here, I structure where every head coach kind of reported to Ron, um, which was not fair to him and, and not fair to the head coaches. And it, it worked for Ron because because Ron was such a person and great administrator. Um, so when Ron, when Ron retired last year, uh, I redid the structure um, and we have five deputy athletic directors now, each with primary sport administration responsibility in our organization, not just with me. Uh, and it gives our coaches much more daily with administration, which is very important. The Lines of communication have got to be open and if, if the only line of it's, it would be limited. Um, I, I've tried to make changes structurally are those people to lead and to take uh, ownership of those programs and to really be the AD for the programs where they're the primary administrator. You know, and it's interesting in in our current um, situation, we're communicating more than we ever did. You know, I used to have a, used to have a weekly kind of division leadership team meeting. Now we meet daily, right? We we talk every day, every day at 10 a.m. we talk and we meet for at least 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. I meet weekly with the head coaches. We used to meet monthly, right? And so even in this time of, of great challenges, I think our communication and our care for each other and our friendships and all those things have grown. They haven't shrunk. I think we've gotten better. It's
2: like teaching online too, or using technology to enhance your things. And if you really want to
1: try to find a way, you'll use it. The technology effectively to make it happen it's interesting once we are all able to come back together in the building together and have meetings again you know I'm going to stick with the daily check-in you know I, we're all in our offices but we hop on here for 15 minutes in the morning to say good morning hello and know uh, I'm going to continue that practice and that practice was discovered with necessity during a challenge
0: I don't know about you but I think it's been so much more efficient like I there's moving around to get to different um, meetings, and it's just, uh, we can get right to the point. And-
1: Look, it, it's changed the nature of board meetings, right? Um, you know, you, people used to fly in from all over the country, and you had to reserve a hotel, ballroom. You, you Now we just get on Zoom and have a board meeting in an hour. You know, it's efficient.
0: Nice, isn't it?
1: I think I think it's going to change. We, we talked about philanthropy. You know, there's still going to be the need for that relationship building those face to face interactions. But I think there's going to be a lot of instead of me getting in a plane and flying to Chicago to see a prospect just to say I did it. You know, it's probably just as beneficial to hop on Zoom for an hour and have a great conversation. Yeah, I was thinking about
2: that that kind of personal touch that you see with fundraising, you know, going out, visiting them at their home
1: or or going out for a meal or a coffee or something like that. You know, as opposed to like, let's chat on Zoom now. Right. Same thing with recruiting, right? We've been recruiting. NCAA has been in a recruiting dead period, right, where you can't travel to recruit. You can't have official visits on your campus. We've been, our coaches have been recruiting 100% virtually. Guess what? We're still signing letters of intent. Like it's still working, right? And so we just realized a great new way, probably reach more young people to have more conversations at events and little to no travel.
0: You talk about a lot about culture and and building a positive culture, and I know you have your culture for within the coaches. How do you guys uh, put that all together?
1: Yeah, they they do. There's a lot of there been a lot of great you know development opportunities that have come up online. You know, we used to have conventions, right? There would be a coaches' convene convention there, right? And and a lot of that has just gone into kind of virtual workshops, virtual information sharing, and it's really been actually very interesting and, and very a good method to do it. I think every coach, like all of us, they're individuals, like some are more tuned into their specific um, authors they like or, or information they like to gather. My goal in, in the division is to, to just provide a baseline education level, right? Okay, here are the baseline things we're all gonna know, we're all gonna understand, and we're all gonna use. And then each coach still has the flexibility to build on those things with their own team. Every team has a unique person; has a personality, and the coach has to figure out what's going to work best every year, and, and now with every individual to motivate those people. And so, you know, my goal is to, to have that baseline level of leadership, education, and development, and then give our coaches the freedom to build upon it.
2: One, one of the things I've noticed over the years, too, that I think a lacking in, in all levels of sports, really, all levels, is our or coach education. And that you've got the finance side, and then you got the operation side, but you really don't have somebody enhancing. It's left to the coach. You, you you turn the keys
1: over to the coach and let them decide whatever the hell they want to do. They get to do right. It's it's uh I'd say it's the old school way of doing it to use a a term. And there's a new school way to doing it that's not that right. And and we've got to. Coaches um, much more, I mean, we're seeing it on a national scale right now with a prominent men's basketball coach. I won't mention the coach or the program that's under a lot of scrutiny for coaching style, right? And how he has been, you know, reported to treat players and treat individuals in the athletic department. That just doesn't work anymore, right? It's, it, it, it might work temporarily, but it's not a way to build a career or to build uh, any kind of culture that's going to lead to sustained success. I believe in what we're doing from a positive education and development standpoint. I, I believe in it ethically. I think it's the right thing to do, the right way to treat people, the right way to act. I also believe in it as a business decision, right? If we want to, and we want to have success and we want to promote the University of Denver in a way that we're all going to be proud of, it's a business decision to do that in a positive way. And it only takes one episode of... Um, some some bad actor activity to ruin that for everyone. And we've seen a lot of schools go through that.
2: So you're saying Bobby Knight won't fit for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, Coach Knight was kind of the first one of those old school coaches where it became public, right? And somebody said, I'm not good anymore. Um, and that was the first one. There have been several high profile ones since.
0: sense to me that, that a, a program would all want to be on the same page, just like all the coaches, you know, all the football coaches on a team work together. I would think in a university in particular, the coaches would want to have similar baseline cultures throughout.
1: I really think they do Um, and get is, uh, each of our sports is so different. You know, you take a sport like golf, that is mainly a, you know, an individual endeavor alone on a golf course for five hours with two other people from another school, um, you know, it's not a team environment, you know, and then so I think every sport is different and sometimes the techniques need to be adjusted a little bit to provide the best education and best motivation. But the core values of positivity, you know, respect, um, but also discipline and accountability, but from a place of caring and love and, and where the student athlete, I think students are craving that now, not just athletes, but all that you care about them. And if they know you care about them they will accept accountability and discipline and all those things that you have to have to win right positive leadership doesn't replace discipline and accountability it enhances it in my mind and it only makes it uh it only gives you a better opportunity to be successful
2: i'm I'm smiling a little bit because i recently submitted a paper talking about caring as a new way of exerting and exercising power
1: and control too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Use the wrong way. That can be manipulative. Yeah. And I I think there probably are examples of people using it that way. Um, But I also think it is powerful. Use the right way. And and you can actually build a real relate people to exceed their own expectations.
2: If you under the name of care or positivity or happiness or education, you can use a lot of different buzzwords, to kind of be like, I'm doing this for your own good. Now do what I tell you to do. Well, and the other thing we're
1: in in this generation, next generations is is they they also have the need and the desire to be included in decision making. Right? There's no longer this blanket acceptance of the professor told me to do this, the coach told me to do this. I guess I'm going to do it. Right? <laughs> when I was being coached, you know, you just do you did what the coach said. You didn't question. Now it's much more explaining by and why are we doing this and how is it gonna help me? Like there's a lot more teaching than there ever has been.
2: Speaking of of athletes and, and t- tough decisions that you've had to make too, right? Can you speak a little bit about the swim team that you had to suspend and maybe what's the status with that and you know how all that has kind of went down and some of the issues that we're just talking now, talking about.
1: Sure. Um, well, I think one one very of a strong culture is clear expectations. Clear standards and expectations. And and positive leadership and positive culture doesn't mean we ignore standards and expectations. And and as we launched a whole entire university trying to get back to business, right? To try to open up, to try to have in-person classes, to try to get our teams back, just practicing, right? Just getting out there with their teammates was a tremendous amount of work by so many people. And it's extremely, still to this day, as we're talking right now, it's very fragile, right? It is so fragile what we're all doing right now in higher education. And so one thing we did early, um, even before our student athletes returned to campus, we just set very, very clear standards and expectations about what this fall quarter was going to look like. And very clear, it's going to be very different than anything you've encountered Be strike two, right? I mean, we can't afford mistakes for the next 10 weeks in the fall quarter because this could mean the university shuts down or our athletic program shuts down. I mean, it was, there were dire consequences and there still are. And so, um, you know, we're we're in the middle of the conduct process with the university, so so I'm going to just be a little bit careful about what I say. But it's a, not just that particular group, but any student athletes that don't live up to the very clear, repeated standards and expectations. Action on that.
2: It is impressive. I've, I've been at DU now myself for six years, and the athletic department. Right, and you know, I know about things that happen. You can read about other universities. DU and and DU going on is is. Not without problems, but they're without epic catastrophes and serious, consistent
1: violence. See those. Right. And, and you know, look, we're all robots, right? I make mistakes, all the mistakes that I can recover from and learn from and don't over again. Uh, so we're all human. Mistakes are going to happen. We're, we're human. But, you know, it can't be consistent. It can't be um, the same mistakes over and over again. And And you've got to take you got to take corrective action when you need to, you know, um, you know, John Gordon, one of my you know favorite authors and leadership gurus, his book, the energy bus, you know, he talks about all the ways you get people on the bus. Right. But the, at the end of the day, sometimes some people just don't want to be on your bus. Right. And it's best that they're not on the bus with you. And, and those are the, for me, the very sad times. I, I don't enjoy that at all. Um, uh, but I think it's a reality of, of trying to build a great culture and a great organization.
2: Do you want to speak a little bit about, can you think about it? Those are always the ones that you, you can, that, you know, uh, uh, maybe a coach that you supervised or an, an athlete that you tried to re- remediate that you weren't able to really get through. And at that time you just had to, had to let them
1: go. Yeah. To, to me, it's, it's the hardest to do. Um, and, and, I, and, you know, I've, I've had to do it. I'm sure I'll have to do it again. You know, I, at all, it's heart wrenching. The ones that hurt the most for me in athlete discipline and, and, and how I, the reason it hurts me is maybe I'm more aware of the incredible opportunity that student is choosing to give up um, by, by their actions and that's just so to me, you know, as a, and maybe it's, maybe it's my own, you know, I wasn't a kid that had an opportunity to get a college scholarship in place to continue my career. And when I see young people make decisions consistently um, or, or they choose to give that opportunity up, it breaks my heart. I, I, I just, you know, I, it, it's devastating to me when that happens. Um, but it is a part of what individuals' learning experiences and life experiences. But, um, you know, it's, um, it's not easy and not something I ever look forward to. Where did, and, I've,
2: and I've heard the same stories from a lot of people, and, and you read other reports. And I'm a faculty, so I get to criticize it. Where does your own sense of humility and that compassion come from? Sometimes not a typical, we don't associate that often with le- leadership and the head AD, you know?
1: Yeah, I I'd probably credit my parents, you know, Brian, I'm, you know, I, I'm a first generation college graduate in my immediate family. You know, my parents, um, great people, provided me with a great upbringing, but, you know, we're, we're not getting married. We're very poor people, rural North Carolina, you know, um, very humble, very hardworking, And, you know, I think eventually some of that's just got to rub off on the kids, you know, and so, you know, I think that's where it starts just not, you know, I never would have, I couldn't, if you would have asked me, I'm I'm 48 years old, if you would have asked me 30 years ago, right, are you going to be the AD at presidents and donors, I would have said, what are you could have imagined that for myself. So, you know, I'm not sure if it's humbleness or just dumb luck and stupidity you know it's but it's it's um i never pictured myself in this position until much later in life right uh and i had to i had to be pretty diligent about getting here and and working hard to get here so i try not to every day what were you Medical science i wasn't thinking about much in college right um no i, I tell you what i thought i was going to do i thought i was going to be a like a country pro that's what I thought I'd do. And a good way to make a living, actually, you know, I, I have a lot of, know a lot of good people and good friends living and, and they have great lives and quality of lives. Um, and that was kind of the path was on. And um, I actually had a job lined up when I graduated from college. And fate or whatever it is, the job offer fell through and that's when i took the internship in the ticket office at north carolina in the athletic department so if i had gotten that job as a you know assistant yeah i wouldn't be sitting here
0: well i know du is very happy that you were taking tickets at that point
1: <laughs> me too it's been a great it's been a
2: great ride I'm loving the connection between political science major and then becoming a golf pro <laughs>
1: It's so interesting. I started as I was a pretty good student in high school and I had a a science teacher who said, you ought to really think about engineering. My parents didn't go to college. I didn't know really much anything about college. I I grew up in a college town. I knew you went to the football games on Saturdays, right? I mean, that was kind of my connection. And so I went to North Carolina State University in the engineering program, you know, and thinking, oh, well, I should be an engineer. And I'm in uh, second semester freshman year. I'm in a basement computer lab doing like program like what am I doing here right this is what I want to do so I conveniently transitioned over to political science and graduated and then started the career in athletics
2: any of that you could do a master's degree in management
1: too yeah did that later in life I ended up doing that online um you know super and and um it's really beneficial for me I actually learned a lot I was in a position in life where I was doing it because I wanted to do it um and and I that level of of mental and, and desire to learn was much greater at the time. Um, so, you know, it, it worked for me. Um, the, the online, you know, probably wouldn't work for everybody, but it certainly worked for me. And I, I think I've benefited a lot from it.
0: Wrap things up. We'd love to have um, everyone give us their favorite coach story. <laughs> you have a favorite, good or bad, but just a very, one that's very memorable for you.
1: First, and it's from high um, my high school football coach, a guy named Bill Hodgen was doing all the coaching stuff before I think anybody knew what it was. And and I probably didn't know what I was experiencing uh, when I was being coached by him. But um every day um during football season, we would leave class, we'd walk outside and we would enter into the locker room at the door to get changed and go to practice. Every day, every single day, he stood by the door of the locker room, called each one of us by our names in a upbeat positive tone, welcome to practice, Carlton's gonna be a great day. Uh, he had nicknames for us, Carlton Creech, KC. He called me KC in the Sunshine Band, and I'd say, KC, the sun's shining today, let's go, you know? And so, I didn't know what I was experiencing. Looking back, I know what he was doing, right? Yeah. He was finding a way to know us as individuals, recognize us as individuals, and motivate us as individuals, every single day
0: I love
2: that I love it I'm just wondering if like next meeting or next zoom I can be like there's Casey in the sunshine (laughs) you feel free to I'll respond to it but that's that's a really important point though like you you had a great coach but at the time though and you still remember that though with fondness it's not like you had to reflect and be like wow that was awful right It, it sounds a great experience is
1: something that was reaffirming and you stayed with it. You didn't. And my senior year, we won more games than we had won in 30 years. Right. And we had success too.
0: Yeah. Makes a difference.
1: Yeah.
0: For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on and and sharing uh, your story.
2: Thanks for listening. Make sure to leave us a five-star review and hit the follow button because there's more sport knowledge on the way. If you're interested in more information or want to engage in further conversation about these and other issues in sport, visit our website at spknmedia.com. To stay updated on all things SPKN, follow us on social media at spknmedia or email us at team at spknmedia.com, and we'll be happy to welcome you to the SPKN community.